Ann Wilson wrote that song. And she wrote that song after who she considered to be her best friend, um, to the individual she looked up to in every way. Her 23-year-old brother um, died in a car accident. She had come downstairs um, to find the police in the living room, and she knew something was wrong because her parents were sitting on the couch in utter despair. Later that night, she says she heard God's voice as if he were speaking clearly to her. He asked, Anne, are you going to trust me or not? She answered, Jesus, I trust you. She said that it was in that instance that Jesus lifted a heavy weight off of her, told her that he would give her everything she needed to get through that tragedy. Part of her healing process came through journaling. Jesus began to show her more and more through that process that he was a personal God. Before she knew it, she began turning those journal entries into songs. She was writing one day and she decided that she would look back through her journal and she noticed that she never wrote God or Jesus. She always wrote my Jesus. And so she wrote the song, my Jesus. She said that Jesus is personal. And I want people to know that. While our stories may look different, my Jesus can be your Jesus too. Like Ann Wilson, Jeremiah wrote Lamentations after a great tragedy. Just as Jeremiah had foretold, the Babylonians had sacked Israel. They had taken them into captivity. And so the prophet Jeremiah pens Lamentations as something of a journal. Our Bibles fail to capture the Hebraic construct of Lamentations. Chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5 are all 22 verses in length. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse of those chapters begin with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet Aleph through Tav. But chapter 3 is three times the length of 1, 2, 4, and 5. Jeremiah writes that chapter in triads. Three verses, each beginning with the Hebrew letter of the alphabet, a through Z. Why does he do that? I think one, Lamentations is a song. I think two, he wants us to remember. Let me tell you about Jeremiah. What is interesting about the start of Lamentations chapter 3 is that Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. I say it's interesting because Jeremiah 
He had prophesied about repenting. He had prophesied about this was coming. He didn't actually deserve the discipline, if you will, that came about. And yet he identified intimately with his people and he suffered with them. We all must travel the path of lamentations at some point in our lives. To lament is to mourn. It is a passionate expression of one's grief. And so Jeremiah empathizes with our seasons of grief. The grieving process involves the whole person physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Physically, in verse 19, he calls his grief a period of affliction. Prior to that, in verse 4, he talks about how it resulted in an overwhelming, bone-tiring feeling. Emotionally, in verse 19, he also references grief as making him feel like a wanderer. Jeremiah thus gives expression to the isolation that one often feels amid the weight of great loss. In verse 6, Jeremiah says that God had set him in dark places. In verse 11, that God had made him desolate. Spiritually, in verse 20, he says his soul sinks within him. This comes on the heels of admitting in verse 8 how he believes God had shut out his prayers. And in verse 7, about how God had robbed him of peace. In verse 10, Jeremiah refers to these pangs of grief as a lion in ambush. The harsh reality of tragedy, like the situation surrounding Elijah's sudden and heartbreaking death, is that we can never truly prepare for it. In his own journal of lamentations called A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis writes, after his wife died of cancer, I had warned myself not to reckon on worldly happiness. We were even promised sufferings. It's part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accepted it. But then Lewis adds these telling words. Of course, this teaching is different when the thing happens to you and not to others. In reality, and not in imagination. The prospect of our suffering is not the same as our experiencing personal pain. Still, Jeremiah walks us through three steps toward comfort amid our grief. One, remembrance. He says in verse 21, this I recall to mind. We should remember whatever and whomever we have lost. Journaling like Ann Wilson did, like C.S. Lewis did, like Jeremiah does, can prove to be a balm of healing. 
In his poem, Memorandums, Edward Hirsch begins by saying, I put down these memorandums of my affections to stave off the absolute, to stave off the flat palm of the wind pressed against the forehead of night, to stave off the thought of stars swallowed by the constellations of darkness. I put down these memorandums. And we should also remember God's goodness and mercy toward us. God has made his people something like the burning bush that Moses saw, burning but not consumed. So we take each day as it comes, never able to escape the losses, never able to escape the hardships, but day by day remembering great is his faithfulness. Amen. Two, reassurance. In verse 1 he says, therefore I have, in verse 21 he says, therefore I have hope. In verse 24 he says, therefore I will hope in him. In verse 26, it is good that one should hope. And in verse 29, he says, there may yet be hope. Let that word sink deep within you. Hope. But the startling fact about these announcements of hope is that they come against perhaps the bleakest period in Old Testament history. Walter Kaiser explains, it would be as if someone stood up in one of the prison camps of the Third Reich and announced loudly, great is God's faithfulness. That might seem ludicrous enough to bring the scornful sneer of every destitute soul confined to those barracks. And yet, Jeremiah insists that we do have something to which we can fashion our hope. The Lord is our portion. In Hebrew, the word portion often refers to an inheritance. All the tribes of Israel, except for the priestly tribe of Levi, received a portion of the promised land. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 9, Moses writes, Levi has no portion, has no inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. Each time Scripture describes the Lord as our portion, it is a reminder that we have a possession that transcends everything of this world. We have an inheritance and a possession that even transcends trial and tragedy. In the summer of 1680, the covenanter Alan Cameron was in an Edinburgh prison. He did not yet know that his son Richard had been killed in battle. A guard opened the door to his cell and flung down bloodied head, a bloodied head, and two bloodied hands. And he yelled, do you know whose these are? Yeah. 
Helen took those gory details of his son and he held them close to him and he said, yes, they are my boys, my sons. And surely the goodness and mercy of the Lord will go with me all the days of my life. How could Alan Cameron say that? Because the Lord is his portion. And to continue through the end of Psalm 23, 6, surely he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, we have hope. We have hope. The Lord is our portion. Three, resignation. Jeremiah says, it is good for man to bear the yoke, to sit alone, and to keep silent. We should not confuse the term that I use here of resignation with just grin and bear it. Falling prostrate on the ground to have one's mouth put in the dust was an ancient way of acknowledging complete submission to someone else. Giving one's cheek to those who strike him expresses willing and complete surrender. The resignation that Jeremiah references is submitting to and surrendering to God's will, especially when it's not easy. We should resign ourselves to the truth that God is merciful, that he is good, that he is compassionate, that he is faithful. That the Lord is our portion. That Yahweh is enough for me. We should resign ourselves to the truth that God does not afflict us from the heart, which I take to mean that we do not suffer just to suffer. God has a purpose in all things. He does not give us more than we can handle. It might feel like it sometimes, but he doesn't. That was the words that my father gave to me when we were waiting to get an MRI on our one-year-old son, Whitman, to see if he had a brain tumor or not. That we would submit and surrender. Whitman did not have a brain tumor. My friend Laurie Pfeiffer did. Let me tell you about Laurie. When I visited her at Barnes, she was awaiting a diagnosis because she had been suffering suddenly from severe migraines and she didn't know why. And I sat in her hospital room and she looked at me and she said, Timothy, I want you to do my service. I said, Lord, we'll talk about that in 30 years. No, she said, I want you to do my service. You know me. 
I could not have ever fathomed that Laurie would die three months later. She explained that I knew her, but it struck me that I really didn't know her the way she knew me. I loved her, but the thing about Laurie was, was that she would always know, know more about you than you knew about her. And she always wanted you to know about her Jesus. The days leading up to her death brought many questions. Why? When no treatment, when no surgery worked, my wife knelt before me in the living room and wept. She looked at me and she said, you've got all this biblical and theological training. You're supposed to be pretty smart. So if you could explain to me why God allows amazing godly mothers like Kels and Lori to go through this while there are so many terrible moms out there, I would really like to know. If you could explain that to me, I, I'd appreciate that right now. I couldn't. I can't. I don't know why. My heart still sinks at her passing. But I remember. And that is why I wear this shirt today. Her daughters designed it to remind us to live like Laurie. I am reassured the Lord was her portion. It is why 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, and verse 8 should be as well, etched on the back of this shirt. And I am resigned. Some of the last words that Lori said to me evoke within me the spirit of faith that God desires. She told me, if you're not helping people believe and trust in Jesus, what are you here for? So let me tell you about my Jesus. Lamentations was not written as a prophetic book. It was written as a personal journal. But looking back on its pages in the same way that Ann Wilson looked back on hers, I cannot help but find a song of Jesus in it. Jesus Christ is the man who bore our grief a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Only he did not deserve it. Compare Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 4, with Lamentations, verses 1 and 2, and 14 to 18. Jesus Christ never sinned, but God the Father laid the burdens of us all upon his Son. Compare Isaiah 53, 5 with Lamentations 3, verse 28. Jesus Christ submitted and surrendered to the Father's will, and he did not shrink back from the cross. Oh, that was not easy. And yet, he bore our yoke while he was still a young man.
At only 33, Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, but he remained silent as sheep before its shears. Compare Isaiah 53, 7 with Lamentations 3, 28 and 29. Jesus Christ offered his back to those who beat him. He offered his cheek to those who struck him. Compare Isaiah 50, verse 6 with Lamentations 3 and verse 30. Before Christ endured a brutal death on the cross, he celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples. In Luke 22, verse 19, he says, Do this in remembrance of me. Can't you hear Lamentations 3, verse 21 in that? This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. At the south of Africa, the sea was regarded as so stormy that when the Portuguese first went sailing on those waters, they named it the Cape of Storms. Yet after that cape had been well-rounded by bolder navigators, they renamed it the Cape of Good Hope. Jesus Christ weathered the Cape of Storms in order to make even death the Cape of Good Hope for us. For you. Lamentations 3.58 says, O oh Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. What brings greater hope to our grieving souls than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Come on, y'all. Where do we find greater hope than that? in the midst of great grief and loss that we cannot quite understand here and now, when we say, why, God? Why the mourning? Why the hurt? Why the loss? Why the grief? Why? I don't know. But I know my Jesus. And he is your portion both now and forever. And get this. <laughs> Romans 8.17 says that all believers are joint heirs with Christ. That is your promised inheritance. That you would reign as a co-heir with Christ Jesus. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. That that is what he does for us. Have you believed? Have you trusted in my Jesus? You know, if we're not telling people about him. What are we doing here anyway? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know there's hurt 
in our congregation right now. There's so much loss, not just among us, but throughout this world. And in our frailty, in our finitude, we, we just don't get it. But I pray, oh, I pray that we would see you and that we would know surely your goodness and your mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And we will enter in to your glory. May this be our hope today, Christ. I pray in your name. Amen. If you have a decision to make today as we stand to sing, what's our, our song, Laura? Song 454, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. As we stand to sing um, that hymn, if you have a decision to make, if you just need to pray, the altar's open.